0: Hey there. I'm Andrea Koppel and it's time for coffee. The podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of Tea for I am so glad you're along for the ride. And if you're interested in breaking into the field of national security, then you will be too, because this is the episode for you, my friends, because my next guest has worked various roles within the Pentagon, the National Security Council, and the U.S. Senate, including serving as an acting deputy assistant secretary of defense for African affairs. But before I introduce you to Michelle Lenahan, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's weekly newsletter that comes out bright and early on Monday mornings, and it's got unique firsthand insights into dozens of different industries from the professionals who are actually working in them. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time4coffee.org, and the sign up box is right there. Now, my civil service-oriented cappuccino lovers, please grab a mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew, because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Michelle Lenahan, a senior advisor on policy management and operations to the chief of operations on special projects at the U.S. Pentagon, where she's worked in a whole bunch of capacities since 2007. Most recently, Michelle was the principal director in the Office of African Affairs, where she managed a team of about 15 to 18 military and civilian contractors. Prior to that role, Michelle was the Acting Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for African Affairs in the Office of the Secretary of Defense for Policy. In that capacity, Michelle advised DOD leadership and represented the Department on Policy Matters pertaining to Africa. And in addition, Michelle is an officer in the U.S. Navy Reserve's. Michelle has also represented the Department of Defense within the National Security Council staff as Director of African Affairs. She also worked in the office of Senator Dick Durbin, where she worked as a legislative fellow. And she worked within the office of the Chief of Naval Operations and the office of the Vice Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff as a presidential Management fellow. We are going to be getting into all of this in our main Time for Coffee interview. So please check out show notes to see if that episode has already dropped. Michelle, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are
1: you caffeinated and ready to go? (laughs) Good morning. Welcome. Thanks so much, Andrea. I'm absolutely ready to go and super thrilled to chat with you and share whatever perspective I can. Oh,
0: fantastic. And we want to make sure our listeners are aware of the fact that Michelle is here today with us in her own capacity and not in her professional capacity as an employee of the Department of Defense. Did I get that right, Michelle?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm speaking in my personal rather than professional capacity. Fantastic. So... I should say official rather than my official capacity.
0: Yeah. She is not here in her official capacity. She is here as a wonderful human being who wants to (laughs) share all of her amazing insights into the field of national security with us. So let us dive into our 10 espresso shots. The first one being, Michelle, what entry-level jobs are available to young people who want to
1: break into this field? Thank you, Andrea. So the best way that I've seen for young or early professionals within national security is to break through internships or through fellowships. So I myself came in through the Presidential Management Fellowship within the Office of the Secretary of Defense. We also have Rosenthal Fellows, Boren Fellows, McCain Fellows. And internships are a great way. Unfortunately, at my organization, they're unpaid, but it's a great way to meet people, get experience, and then launch into a full-time job. I'd also say on the Hill, staff assistant would be an entry-level position.
0: Excellent. And as you and I were chatting before this interview began, you were saying, what's the definition of young? Because really, the truth is, if you want to get into this line of work in the Pentagon, especially in government, non-Hill related jobs, you're going to need a grad school degree. Isn't that right?
1: Yes, I would say for the most part, people have graduate school degrees. And and I'd add another option as well could be a contractor. So through defense contractors, there are some positions that are assigned to the Pentagon. Nice.
0: Yes, absolutely. And Michelle, is there a
1: place that
0: our listeners can go to find all these different fellowship opportunities? How can they learn about them?
1: I would suggest going through one your university. I mean, there certainly should be a career service office that should be tracking what the various fellowships are. But then also I would peruse the websites. So within Department of Defense, we have something called Washington Headquarters Service, which ultimately manages the entry of personnel. And so they would have a listing for where internships or fellowships potentially could be found.
0: Excellent. Okay. We'll try to put a link to that in our show notes.
1: Michelle, what
0: is a useful, hard, and soft skill that you look for in the young people that you hire in the Pentagon?
1: Well, first and foremost, I would just say a great attitude. I think it goes a long way that but- Also, communication skills are critical, the ability to write and breathe, as well as critical thinking and analysis. Everything that you do within a large organization, like the Department of Defense or even within the government, requires working with others. So the ability to work in and across teams and different organizations. Also, we deal with really complex information that's in high volume. And so you really need the ability to sort through that and then distill into easily understandable, concise language so that senior leaders can make decisions or that others can, can easily understand. I'd also say task and project management, since you're often running initiatives or trying to get through your various objectives. And also agility and adaptability. You really have to be able to shift from one issue to the next or from one type of product or tasking to another.
0: Excellent. Sounds like skills needed for journalists as well, which you also
1: (laughs) used to be. So
0: a lot of that resonated with me. Michelle is someone's major a deciding factor to get into this profession? In other words, if they haven't studied national security or international affairs as you did, or government or public affairs, is it a deal breaker?
1: I would say no. Certainly, as a hiring official, I would not discriminate based on what someone's major was. Actually, a boss at mine at ABC told me early on that he did not look for journalism majors. He was a philosophy major. And his his expectation is that a lot of the skills could be learned on the job for journalism, but he really wanted, not that you couldn't do this in journalism or as a journalism major, but his focus was just looking at some of the hard skills as far as critical analysis and deep thinking that he was able to gain from his philosophy expertise. So I would say somebody who basically has exhibited talent or that I basically can trust that they're bringing good skills to the fore, irrespective of what major it was certainly in. And then also just a really good work ethic and team attitude for me goes a long way. That's not to say that it isn't considered favorable if you do have a major. So for sure, I studied international relations and public policy. So my education matches my profession. And certainly that's a leg up, but I definitely would not see it as a disqualifier if someone didn't have a a major that was aligned directly with the profession.
0: Good to know. What about with a graduate school degree? We began this interview by saying, chances are you're gonna need one. If you want to work in the Pentagon, certainly in the tracks that you've worked in, what are the most useful grad school degrees for our young listeners to try to get, Michelle, if they're interested in building a career in national security?
1: I would just note public policy, security studies. If you have a specific regional expertise and you really want to focus on that, certainly a degree, a master's in a regional area. Also, a law degree is always helpful because it gives you that critical thinking, the ability to. build a theory of the case, make an argument, and then also those writing skills. And in my organization, it's for the most part required. But that's not to say that there aren't exceptions. I, for instance, had a political boss who didn't have a master's, whereas I also had others who had PhDs. So I would never want someone to be dissuaded or think that there was no shot, but certainly would encourage graduate degrees if you're applying. I'm so glad
0: you brought up the political because just very quickly for our young listeners who may not be familiar with all the different ways you can get into government, what we are talking about for the most part is those who go in through the civil door, the civilian door, not those who are political appointees, those who serve at the pleasure of the president or whomever the president has put in place. Is there anything you'd want to add to that, Michelle?
1: No, it's true. I would say I'm a civil servant. So I serve both parties, irrespective of who's in leadership. And there's a cadre of us who really compose the bureaucracy. And then above the civil servant tier, for the most part, are the political appointees who are put in place by the administration. And then there are also some political appointees called scussies that can be at what we call an action officer level. So not necessarily in the leadership, but throughout different levels of the organization. So that is another track to potentially get in is to go through the political arena. Yes. So I say that the main tiers are civilian, military, political, and then also the contractor. And then sometimes just a detailly, like a, an intern or a fellow.
0: Mm-hmm. Great. Michelle, you have had so many different life experiences over the course of your academic career and then your professional career. What, in your opinion, are the best kind and most useful kind of life experiences for our young listeners to try to cultivate if they want to get into this
1: field? As an internationalist, overseas experience to me has been critical. And it's also just been such a formative part of my development. So understanding different cultures, histories, perspectives, and their experiences, having seen and lived it on the ground, either through travel or working and living in a country, for me has been invaluable and has been very critical as far as my understanding of the world. And then I'd also note just being part of a team. So having developed those skills, working with others, understanding how to develop a shared objective and then cooperate in order to get there, resolve differences and so forth is also just a critical life experience. And I'd also say advocacy. So some work doing any kind of advocacy, whether that's in your local community or even in a professional way, just understanding how to make the case for something and then putting forward your talents in order to see it happen is certainly a useful life experience to bring. Michelle has traveled
0: to 72 countries. She's lived on four continents and she backpacks solo in Asia for three months. She also played division one soccer. Hello. Oh my God. How important do you think the sports factor has been in your kind of team building and being a member of a team in the professional sense?
1: I say it's defining. I played competitively, as you noted, playing in college. And so from an early age, it became a a major component within my life. And it really actually transformed me. I used to be extremely shy having to play on teams where I was the only one in my town really forced me to break out of my shell, understand how to develop relationships, build rapport, interact with people. I'd say that's a skill that I certainly have to use when I was engaging with foreign counterparts, meeting them quickly, having to just Develop a relationship when we're then to have the best outcome or effect from our engagement. I also, as a woman, I strongly believe in sport as far as helping development of leadership and and just life skills. It gives Different degree of confidence, especially playing in a field of boys, which I often did as times now. I find myself sometimes the only female at at the table. Certain discussions and engagements, I think it creates a great platform. And then as you mentioned, just the team aspect of it. So working together, having that grit to really grind it out, spend those extra hours in order to build the tools or the resiliency or the stamina, whatever it might mean in order to deliver. That's certainly working long hours, whether it's at the Pentagon or at the National Security Council, Senate the ABC News, and having trained and, and built that expectation. And then maybe also that muscle within your body has certainly helped me throughout my career. So I would say it's been invaluable to me. And it's certainly something that I recommend or I advocate for others, because I think it really can propel girls and women. And you see that. You see that within their studies out there noting the number of women in C-suites who actually have athletic backgrounds and the facts are indisputable. Yeah. I don't
0: know if my time playing rugby as a club sport in college would rise to that level. Michelle, I certainly did learn how to sing body songs and chug beer. (laughs) So that's a good life experience, I guess. (laughs) But But it ain't division one soccer.
1: No, but Andrew, I mean, especially playing rugby, which is a sport that girls don't traditionally play. I think that within itself probably helps build your toughness. That's a manner that you didn't even necessarily understand. Or you also point to the important social aspect. So within work, there, we're still dealing with people. So even though it's professional, there's still a social element. So having that ability to bond with people, to connect, to come together afterwards to feel a part of something, I would say that that's certainly a dynamic that's at play in the professional world that is also prominent within the sport world.
0: That's very sweet of you to say. Thank you, Michelle.
1: I would be afraid of you on a rugby field. <laughs> oh my God, please.
0: I would never get out on a rugby rugby field again, Michelle. I've learned my lesson. Do not worry. <laughs> so what is the best part for you, Michelle? Of being in the field of national security, specifically the 13 years you spent within the Pentagon?
1: Actually, now it's been 15 years. I First and foremost, for me, is service. So the ability to contribute to national security, the ability to devote my talents in service of our country, also the mission orientation that I feel at the Department of Defense, as well as part of national security. So that, to me, is very important and has certainly been a motivator and also really fulfilling. Working with really extraordinary people, so people who are driven by that desire to serve, I think just... it attracts a really great cadre uh, that I've been really fortunate to work with and learn from. And then also, it's fascinating. So you're constantly learning, there's a dynamism to it, because you're dealing with world events, which are constantly changing. And then there's impact, which is the ability to actually work on issues that you care about and use an extensive set of tools in order to create positive change. So that to me is really satisfying.
0: Amazing. Okay. Flip side, Michelle, what is the part of your current job as a senior advisor in policy management and operations to the chief of operations that
1: sucks the most? I'll take this as a macro question, uh, not to my specific role, but I would just say that it can be really difficult to get things done. So- the U.S. government is large and it's complex, and there are a lot of moving parts. And by design, in part, there are safeguards in place so that you don't make poor decisions because they can have lasting effect. But what it also means is sometimes it can be a challenge to move something quickly and seamlessly. Just a, a case in point, when I worked in TV news, I would write something and then one person would look at it and then it would be broadcast to millions. Versus now, if I write a product within my role, it has to be reviewed by multiple people and then goes through a chop chain and so forth. So it's just a very different environment as far as speed goes, but it's because of the impact of the work and the effect that can be long lasting that you have to have all those reviews in place, I would say.
0: Yeah. We are certainly going to get into the bureaucracy in our main (laughs) time for coffee interview. So watch this space. Three final espresso shots, Michelle. What is the best career advice? you've ever gotten?
1: Do what you love. Success and satisfaction will follow. And i certainly tried to do that in my career as well my heart and do what compelled me. And as a result, I've had some really extraordinary experiences. Love it. What movies, if any, or Netflix, Hulu, Amazon shows, or
0: books do you think accurately depict your profession, Michelle?
1: I would say none. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I tend not to watch movies or shows that actually relate to national security. I think oftentimes there are a lot of stereotypes that are played up that might be off track or there's just such a sensationalism perhaps to them. So I would say none. But as far as books go, I think biographies of people who've been in leadership provide great insight. So one I'll just note is Gates's book, Duty. And he's someone who worked through the civil service at the CIA, ultimately rising to leadership and also was the secretary of defense. And so he's seen the US government, he's seen the national security landscape from every which angle. And so I think he would provide great insight. And then from a non-DOD question, I would just say broadcast news. So it's an old movie for some of our younger viewers, but that scene where people are running down the hall to make broadcast with a frantic pace and intensity is certainly, I would say, quite apropos.
0: Yes, I can certainly (laughs) second the notion on that one. Just to be clear for our young listeners who may not remember, it actually wasn't that long ago, but Robert Gates was the Secretary of Defense. Was it from 2006 to 2011? during the George W. Bush administration. And his book is called Duty Memoirs of a Secretary at War. We will include a link in show notes.
1: And not just George W. Bush. He actually served both in the Bush and the Obama administration.
0: Thank you so much, Michelle. Final espresso shot. What would Java junkies be surprised to learn about your profession, Michelle?
1: I would say that bureaucracy is not necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> I know that bureaucracy seems like a four-letter word, but you know, oftentimes institutions can keep our government grounded and measured, which has positive benefits as well. There's a reason why they're in place. So I would just say, yes, we can do things quicker and with less complications at times. There certainly can be greater efficiencies and so forth. But ultimately, our institutions are vital to this democracy and bureaucracy is, is a component of our institutions.
0: Excellent. Michelle, I want to thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the t for c community, our country, our government, and certainly the Pentagon. So fortunate to have bright and talented and committed individuals like yourself helping to move our policy forward. For sure.
1: Oh, Andrea, that's so kind of you. Honestly, it's an honor and a pleasure to serve. So I'm quite grateful for the opportunity I've been given. But, and it's such a pleasure to speak with you and your listeners. I would really encourage people to consider national security. It's a fascinating and fulfilling field, and we need great talent. So please drop your name and pursue it.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee.